What's, What's up, up guys? guys? I'm Michelle. I'm Bridget. <laughs> We're just going to talk about some stuff. Just, just chat for a little bit. Some dog topics. Yeah. Yeah, some dog topics. With some dogs. We do have some dogs. This is uh, Lumos. And this is Sunday. Hello, sir. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for joining us. They're going to add some good insight. I'd say that these two of our personal dogs are probably our most difficult dogs. Yes, um, 100% agree um, with mm -hmm. Sunday. Yeah, he's just difficult because, like, that's just who he is. It's just, like, his vibe. <laughs> he's like, I was born this way. Yeah, he's like, I can't help it, truly. Sunday's brain is wired for one thing mm -hmm. and one thing only. That Skunking is around. The snacks. The snacks. Mm -hmm. Everything's driven by the snacks. Down. Um, so Bridget had a good topic that we're going to discuss a little bit about, and that's when you start to see success in training. Yeah. Specifically, I'd say probably like one-on-ones. Yeah, yeah. Like private sessions. Yeah. So it can definitely, as I am, have just transitioned from board and train to one-on-one, -on -one, I've noticed a lot of changes. Um, like you were telling me, it's way different, and I was like, it's not going to be that different, and it's it's way different. Um, so it's just like the traditional success that you see in board and train is like done over the course of a month, and then transitioning like the first hour with somebody or just successes in an hour um, has definitely been a challenge. And I know that I was like, I'm not seeing success, and you're like, it's the first lesson. And I was like, it, we have to work on something. And you're like, no, you're just going to kind of build things now. Yes. So setting that expectation of when do we start to see success in one-on-one -on -one sessions? Yeah, I think that even from, like, the training aspect, going back to that, like, the something that you had to overcome was, like, your first interactions with a client were, mm -hmm. like, I need to show them that yeah. this works. I need to prove myself. Yeah, that. and that it, like, it worked, it, the dog is trained, everything's going to be great, and that's, like, how you had to, like, build rapport initially, mm -hmm. I think, was through, like, the the results of the success of the training during yeah. board and trains, whereas with one-on-ones, like, the, the way you build relationships and rapport with clients is just a little bit different because yeah. you're not going to see results right away. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I need you to trust me. I know, like, hi, we just met, but I need you to trust yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when, and truthfully, I do think in comparison, sometimes I feel like with one-on-ones, it might be a little bit easier to get that rapport a little yeah. bit more than with board and train yeah. because you're with them more and you're with them exactly. longer and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, you're working, you're meeting the dog and the person for the first time. And mm -hmm. board and train, I'm like, hey, I, this is my best friend, your dog, that I've uh, been working with the last month. And it already loves me. It trusts me. And then it's like, here's your dog back. Whereas one-on-ones, they're like, ew, who are you? <laughs> and you have to, like, gain the trust and the respect of both parties. Yes. Um, and I do think that something that came up the other day with a client of mine that relates to this topic was, I think it was a third session. And one of the main issues with the dog is like anxiety and fear mm -hmm. and things like that. And um, they had kind of asked like, when do we start working on like the fear and the anxiety yeah. and what do I need to do with that? And there's really no straight like answer or like specific training exercises that you can do to mm -hmm. just specifically address like anxiety and fear and it's more about taking the skills and the communication that you establish with the dog through obedience training and changing your lifestyle with them mm -hmm. and using that to then create and adapt to overcome like the fear and anxiety yeah. and start reconditioning at that point mm -hmm. so and it was kind of perfect because we went on a walk and we encountered a group of kids that were all on bikes and bikes was like a big issue for the dog. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of hung out there and used his training and his obedience to work through and get him a little bit more confident around the kids on the bikes. And so it was ironic that that was a concern of hers and then we were able to address it right mm -hmm. away so she could see it kind of in action. But that sparked the conversation of 
in training, you're gonna see big changes happen quickly, initially off mm -hmm. the bat, like your dog is going to walk better pretty, pretty quickly. Your dog is going to know basic commands and be able to perform them a lot better pretty quickly. But when it comes to like big overall behavioral changes, mm -hmm. those are, you're gonna have to be patient and kind of yeah. see those bigger changes happen more in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, I think like dog training is almost sold to you as like this fairy tale ending where you're gonna get to this point and it's happily ever after and you never have to really do anything. And when people go through it and they're going through the training, they're like, I thought we already went over this. Like, why is my dog acting like this again? And mm -hmm. it's goes to show you it's not just one quick fix. It's being like consistent and reliable for your dog for yeah. a long period of time and being able to give your dog direction and boundaries and things like that. And I think by the third or so session, people are starting to grasp that. Yeah. And then we see these successes, or like you said, you work through something right in front of them, and they're like, oh my God, that, that worked. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, like we just have to stay consistent. Because um, most owners, like when they see their dog in that state of fear, they're like, we have to stop. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to keep going. Like the, my dog is scared. Oh, yeah. And then you have to realize, like, they're scared because they don't have direction. And we need to provide that direction so they're a little bit more confident and comfortable handling things themselves. And then Luca was like, oh, bikes aren't really that scary anymore. <laughs> yeah. And he did really well. Yeah. And I do think there's, like, of course, like a balance of, yeah, you don't want to push a dog through something they're fearful of like mm -hmm. to the extreme yeah. you know like you definitely want to do it in like small amounts and in a digestible amount so that you can still keep them their ability to be focused you know yeah. if, they, if they're completely just in fight or flight mode like over threshold mm -hmm. crazy there's not so much you can accomplish in that but obviously once we're starting to address the fear behaviors and stuff we have the dogs in a position no <laughs> Down. We have the dogs in a position where we know that we can do it successfully in those yeah. environments then too. Yeah. Because you put the work in to kind of build the dog and have those foundational elements in it. So when push comes to shove, you at least have something in your, your tool belt mm -hmm. that you didn't first introduce Luca to e-collar the day he was scared of the bikes. You know, that took a couple a couple of sessions to refine to him like what the e-collar meant and like how to react to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because if you don't have, like you imagine a fearful dog in a situation of something that they're scared of or uncomfortable. I mean, fear for dogs is like very primal. Yeah. Like they see it as like a safety thing. Like yeah. they truly think that their safety is in the balance. And so you can imagine that if you haven't taken the time to teach them the communication language that you're mm -hmm. going to use, when you try to do it in that environment, it's, it's going to be just, it's going to add to the overwhelming state of the dog Yeah. because now they're fear for their safety. And then on top of that, you're using a language that they have no mm -hmm. <laughs> concept of. So a lot of times when you have a fearful dog and an anxious dog, because the signs of that are so like visceral and apparent, people come in wanting to work on that immediately. And it's like, I understand that the fear and the anxiety seems like the biggest issue, yeah. but the biggest issue in reality is that you can't talk to your dog yeah. effectively in a way that they understand. Yeah. And until we can actually get that communication set up, there's no way that we can address those issues with really good clarity. Yeah. Um, so that's why those first few lessons sometimes for people seem like, oh, this doesn't seem like we're doing anything or it yeah. doesn't seem like we're actually getting to the root of the problem. Yeah. But like you kind of just have to trust the process a little bit. And I found that even in the context of like private sessions, when you do get to that around like lesson three-ish mark mm -hmm. where they've trusted the process for those first couple lessons and now they're really getting to see like yeah. the fruit of all the work that they put in, then you've really like cemented that trust from that person too yeah. for like the rest of the lessons. Yeah. They're really willing to um, hear you out and really follow what your guidance is then at that point. Yeah, they're a lot more like trusting. They're like, oh, she told me to do this and it, it worked. No, mm -hmm. 
Sunday bed. She said, with Lumos? <laughs> Miss. Swandering. Skunking around. Skunking around the Christmas tree. <laughs> Both of our dogs had a moment where they're like, they're talking, they won't notice. They're like, if we move really slow. Yeah, they will have no idea. They, no idea at all. Could be snacks in this room. Uh-huh. I had a thought to add to that, and now I can't remember what it was. You got good flow going. Huh? You've got good flow going. Good flow? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Good, good? Good. good stuff? Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to talk about. <clears throat> and something that I talk to clients a lot about once we get near the end of their program is that I'm less concerned with their dog like being perfect mm-hmm. by the end of the lessons and more concerned with the owner feeling very competent, yeah. you know, yeah. like even if like, I think it, it had, um, I think it was Bertha, Bertha. <laughs> Big Bertha. love her. Um, her last session at the park, she had a really hard time with sit for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paige, you were there. We were filming it. Um, and you know, you could easily look at that and be like, oh man, it's her last session. Yeah. Like she's still struggling with sit. Like, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, we were all like dumbfounded. Like, how, yeah. why is this happening? Um, there was no reason for it to happen. And they're even like, even at home on our walks, like she does great with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we could have looked at that and been really defeatist about it and mm-hmm. been like, oh, what a terrible way to end our lessons, yada, yada, yada. But in reality, I think it was a really good example of your dog is never going to be perfect. Yeah. There's always going to be days when your dog doesn't do well for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even with our dogs, like, <laughs> yeah. there's days where I'm like, are you even trained? Uh, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> what are, do you know anything right mm-hmm. now? Um, and so it's a living animal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's days when I wake up and I'm having a terrible day, Yeah. you know? So it's, it's unreasonable to expect our animals to be mm-hmm. perfect and on top of it, like, all the time. Um so I felt like that lesson was actually really good because it, she, she knew how to fix it. She knew how to, the owner yeah. did, she knew how to work through it and she knew how to get success. And to me, that's more important mm-hmm. is not, did the dog do perfect, but more did the owner address everything yeah. and feel confident and comfortable and knowing how to fix it and how to, how to work through that stuff when it happens, because that's more realistic. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like with the, the send home lessons, um, with board and trains, if it goes perfect the whole time, that's not really yeah. great. <laughs> it always did too. Like the dogs would go perfect and the people would be like, this is incredible. Yeah. And they'd go home and be like, fluffy ripped my husband's <laughs> heart apart. What do I do now? Yeah. And you'd be like, well, we're going to keep working. Yeah. Because if they never get to address the issue and actually know how to fix it and work on it, then they're not going to have the skill set to be able to do that. Yeah. It's like very much coaching people how to handle a wide variety of situations with their dogs. So Mm -hmm. coaching them through when their dog makes a mistake or when things aren't going perfect. And instead of taking them being like, my dog's terrible, I'm terrible. You're like, Let's give you the tools to problem solve a little bit with your dog. Yep. So like you said, they're living beings. They're not perfect. They have bad days. And it's just kind of for us to be able to keep pushing them to be successful and know what to do when we have failures mm-hmm. and not be so overcome with, like, shame because our dogs had a bad day. Yep. Sunday pushing the limits right now. She said, my nose is on the ground, (laughs) but my paws are on the bed. And especially when you have dogs, like, 10 sessions is a good amount of time to work with a dog. That's Mm -hmm. probably roughly, like, two and a half months, three months that you're working with a dog. And you can get a ton accomplished, and you can see a lot of really good success in that. But when you are dealing with, like, fear, anxiety, especially those, like, really, like, deep-rooted genetic cases where it's, like, the dog's default setting is probably just always going to be nervous. Yeah. Like, you're not really going to change that. Um, you really have to, to give the clients the this, this skill set to continue everything that we've been doing beyond mm-hmm. those 10 weeks. Because yeah. you're not going to see a massive, massive, massive like come to fruition change mm-hmm. with stuff like that just in 10 sessions yeah like you'll see exactly. big big progress and difference but like not 
necessarily to the end game result that people want. Yeah. But truthfully, I would argue that those dogs are kind of a lifetime of progress mm -hmm. in and of itself. Yeah. Like, I don't think, there's there's some dogs where like, yeah, you could hit a glass ceiling mm -hmm. eventually maybe with as far as like their behavioral progress can go. But not many. I truly believe that there's a lot of dogs that it may just take more time than other dogs, but they will always continue to get better and better. Yeah. As long as you're continually yeah. putting in the time and the effort with them. It's a, it's like a lifestyle. So I always equate it to like, you're not going to get to your peak physical fitness and clean eating and be like, I can stop now and expect to yeah. maintain a healthy body or a fit body if you just abandon all of the things that, the, yeah. all that discipline. So it's a lifestyle of discipline, which people like are learning to commit to mm -hmm. um, when you first get the dog. Yep. And it's a lot more work than people kind of anticipate, but I'm liking the part of coaching them through like, how can I solve this on my own? Yep. How can I long-term know when my dog does this, then I do this. Mm -hmm. And I help my dog back into training mode or oh, yeah. success. Oh yeah. And I think there's too like a balance where you always want to keep trying to progress and try to get your dog better, mm -hmm. but also recognizing that in the moment you need to have perspective of like how far you have come yeah. and how much progress yeah. you've had. Because yeah. I think it's easy that sometimes when you see like those really big changes mm -hmm. up front that you get impatient. Yeah. And then you're like, sure. I just want it all to change now. I know. And you're like, <laughs> crap, I have to work at this. Yeah. And and it's hard for people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so sometimes I always have to remind people, like, yes, you know, we had one reaction on that walk, mm -hmm. but, like, two months ago, you couldn't even take your dog outside. Exactly, yeah. You know, like, this is, this is like, huge, huge progress. Yeah. It's, it's nice to coach people through that because I know personally that I come from, like, that anxious feeling that when I was training my dog... When I had like a good week, I was like, okay, we're in the clear. We're never having to deal with this again. And then I'd go out and he'd have a reactive episode. And because he had a meltdown, I'd go home and have a meltdown yeah. and be like, I can't leave my house. I'm a prisoner of my own circumstances. And then it's just realizing. Nelson? <laughs> yeah. Nelson was bad. Like he's five pounds, but that little thing was out for blood. Out oh for blood, gosh, not and not Nelson. like I'm gonna back down and not like try to live up to it. It was like if he slipped out of his harness because I used a harness at the time, he was he was going to fight, oh my going gosh, to fight, Nelson. and it was so embarrassing walking down the street and having him like make these gurgling sounds. Mm. Um, and then I entered, I got introduced to the e collar, and it took like a week of corrections, and he was like, oh crap. <laughs> he was like, oh. I can see that this is no yeah. longer going to be effective. But even with the training, like it doesn't mean that when he felt those corrections, he was never going to do those things again. Like mm -hmm. I needed to consistently put the e-collar on for our walks mm -hmm. and consistently be able to deliver corrections. Because if they can get away with something even one one oh, time, yeah. they're like, ha-ha, I didn't feel any correction for that. Mm -hmm. And then they keep trying and eventually it can kind of snowball out of control from there. Oh, yeah. So it's like coaching the clients and understanding what to do when we get to that point is really essential to the dog and their success. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not always just the, the corrections that make the difference. It's the consistent mm -hmm. and persistency, like yeah. the persistence of it, yeah. consistency and persistence of the corrections. Because um, like you said, if they know that 50% of the time they're mm -hmm. not going to get corrected for it, then there's still that little glimmer of hope that they're going to yeah. be able to get away with it at that point. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit for me and the way that I'm thinking, it's a little bit more fair to have that clarity and consistency where when people are trying to play the nice guy and like, oh, I'll, I'll give you that warning that one time. Yeah. We're actually kind of being a little bit mean to the dog because oh, yeah. we're not being clear. And it's just like, if like you, so you're telling me there's hope. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if you were a kid and that favorite teacher of yours was like, oh, yeah, you don't have to turn in the assignment. Like and then next time you get in trouble for not turning in the assignment. How is that fair? Yeah. How is that? How are you going to learn from that and build from that if you can never really get the formula right? Yeah. Your dog needs to feel confident that they know how you're going to respond to something mm -hmm. every single time. Yeah. 
depend like, on you to respond. Exactly. Like if you if you respond, I mean, you think of it. I use a lot of like child analogies, mm-hmm. and I know that kids are not like dogs and vice versa. But sometimes for people, using analogies with children is easier for them to yeah. to grasp. But like with a kid, I mean, if a kid like breaks their iPad and half, you know, one time you scream and yell and you mm-hmm. get all mad about it. And then the next time you're like, oh, that's fine. It's no big deal. Yeah, we'll buy a new one. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what? That's yeah. just, it's confusing. You know, mm-hmm. there's no, they're performing the same behavior, but the response is inconsistent. Yeah. And that's very unstable. Yeah. And then they don't know what to expect. Exactly. They don't trust you. They don't trust their circumstance. They don't trust the communication. Mm. They don't trust any of that. And it just erodes at it in your relationship over time. Yeah. So. A strong relationship, like you had said to me the other day, is being a leader and Mm. not being scared to be that leader and step in where you need to be and provide that direction. Mm. And I think people sometimes can get hung up with, like, again, like not wanting to be the bad guy. But your dog... It's not that you're being the bad guy. It's that you're just providing information. Yeah, exactly. Your dog needs that from you. Like with uh, Doppler. Oh, Doppler. <laughs> Doppler, what a guy. Um, I think we just had our sixth session, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and we all know what his first session was like. <laughs> 40 minutes of attacking me the whole time. Yeah. Um, and each session, other than the second one, because I didn't want to put him under unnecessary stress if I didn't have to. I've handled him mm-hmm. and worked with him. And each session up until this last sixth one, he's tried to bite me at least one time. Yeah. He is like, <laughs> he's done it like once. Um, and so this sixth session, he didn't. And um, I even touched his ear at one point, mainly mm-hmm. because his muzzle was messed up. So I was fixing it. And it was just funny because when I touched his ear, he went like this. he just scowled at me um but he didn't do anything yeah and so he's a good example of like it's just consistent information Mm -hmm. every time you behave in an aggressive dangerous manner there's going Mm -hmm. to be a consequence for that and though you could say like wow it took you like six sessions to be able to handle Mm -hmm. the dog without him trying to bite you but it's like, yeah, and, and now he doesn't anymore yeah. <laughs> because because he learned that every time you try to do that, mm. it's not going to get you the result that you're looking yeah. for because he'd done it for so long. And it got away with and it. And got probably. away with it. You know, I think when we talk about like, oh, it doesn't matter how old a dog is or how long they've been doing a behavior when it comes to training, every dog can be trained. And I mm-hmm. 100% believe that. But I do think there's a nuance to it where it's like, Somebody who's been smoking for six months, it's easier to quit than somebody who's been smoking for 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a big difference there because you've been doing the behavior longer and you've been rehearsing it longer. So for a dog like Doppler who is, you know, exhibiting such intense, aggressive behaviors Mm -hmm. and didn't really have any feedback on it Mm -hmm. for a very long time, and then now somebody is giving feedback, it's not going to be solved quickly. Yeah, You know, that's something that is going to be... And and going back to the dangerous aspect of it is, yes, like, immediately we did see progress in that his initial reactivity kind Mm -hmm. of went away. You know, like that second lesson, again, you filmed that page, you saw it, like he wasn't launching himself out the car, he wasn't aggressively, like, barking and lunging at people. And I made sure I talked to the owners. I was like, don't interpret this Mm -hmm. as, like, he's fine now. Yeah. (laughs) Because him wanting to use his aggression as a coping mechanism is something that is going to be a part of him for a big chunk of time. Sure. And we still have to make sure that we put all of our management systems in place for safety before we really get comfortable with, like, okay, we've seen big, long-lasting changes in him, but... Um, yeah, with aggression cases, I think it's fair to say, too, that you'll see huge changes mm-hmm. right off the bat, but then there's still that lingering kind yeah. of underlying thing that you have to make sure you're accounting for as you continue to move forward, or it's going to maybe literally bite you in the ass Yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you don't. It can be definitely great to see all that success, and then, like, People, sometimes when they see that success, success, it's great that you, people feel happy about that. But there are sometimes people are like, all right, all our problems, we can go to the park now and let him <laughs> off muzzle and leash. And you're like, hold up, wait a yeah. minute. Yeah. Like, 
I love my one. I'm training one of my best friend's dogs right now, and we had a great session last time he was here. And he texted me. He's like, "I'm gonna bring him into the office now." And this was after like our first off muzzle social. He's like, he works at a pet insurance company. He's like, "I'm gonna bring him to the office, oh, no. and I'm gonna like let him play with all these dogs." And I was like, "Michael, not yet." Nope. I was like, we need to work on this a little bit longer. We need to have some systems in place mm -hmm. to communicate with him before we take him to a setting that he's not going to be successful. And then mm -hmm. what would that do for my friend emotionally if his dog had a bad reaction at the office? Yep. You know, that would take him down. He'd be like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, just set everything back. Yeah. It's like trusting the process and going through with it, but like staying humble as well where it's great to push your dogs to do new things mm -hmm. and push them past like fears and things you thought they would ever do, but like yeah. in a controlled, very kind of like optimistic, humbly optimistic yes. way. Yeah, you know? well, because there's a difference between like the control you have over your dog when everything environmentally mm -hmm. is like curated yeah. and perfect. Yeah, exactly. Versus how is your control over your dog when everything goes wrong? Yeah, yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And for the longest time, like, even with him, like, I, when I would have him out in public, even though I had good control over my dog, mm -hmm. I still had him muzzled because I didn't trust that if the environment wasn't conducive yeah. to him being controlled, that I would be able to control him. Yeah. You know what I mean? A kid runs up and tries yeah. to touch him on the face or hug him or, you know, somebody steps on his foot mm -hmm. when they're walking by, you know, just like yeah. stuff like that. I know that at that point in his training, I don't trust that his response, that he had a high enough threshold mm -hmm. to still control himself when yeah. everything went wrong. And so he was always in a muzzle. And now at this point, like, I feel very confident that yeah. I can take him pretty much anywhere. Like, you saw him even in one of my lessons without asking someone went up and just started petting yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and in those situations, like, I would never put him in a situation where he was, like, a very high risk sure. to hurt somebody if I wasn't able to, like, control them or stop them or, you know, certain things like that. So like in those situations, like I, I know confidently now that would I ever allow anybody and give them permission to touch him? Mm -hmm. No. But if something out of my control like that happens mm -hmm. and they do it anyways, like I know that he's not going to do something because of just how much training and self-control I've built into him. Yeah. Again, the perfect situation where somebody you know, hugs him mm -hmm. or, you know, like if you really pushed it, then sure. Yeah. But <clears throat> at this point, like I, I got rid of the management tool of the muzzle because I know that like I've seen the big long lasting like changes in yeah. him overall. You built that trust with him and you yeah. have put him in a variety of situations where you've probably seen success. Exactly. And it's not just like, oh, you saw success at the family barbecue one time and you're like, he can both be off yeah. muzzle. It probably <laughs> took a long time of oh, him yeah. being at the family events and Absolutely. nothing happening. And I mean, the second we step outside of our door, we can't control what happens in our environment. Mm -hmm. Who's running up? Like we can advocate till the cows come home. Yeah. But there's always that one situation that like we are not prepared for. And mm -hmm. it's really understanding and your dog in situations you're not prepared for and how to work around them. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And what to do and despite of everything goes wrong. Oh yeah. And recognizing that like every dog's propensity for danger mm -hmm. and to be violent, for lack of a better word, is gonna be different. And so everybody's management has to be different. Yeah. You know, like yeah, there's some really nasty chihuahuas out there, yeah. but like I don't think I've ever heard of a chihuahua killing someone. No. You know what I mean? Like there's, yes, there are certain management tools that when you have a certain type of dog or mm. a dog with a certain propensity for dangerous behaviors that you have to, you know, manage it more strictly and more intensely than maybe somebody else does yeah. just because of the type that they have. Yeah, you know, like Krios. Um, do you remember him? Yes. Yeah, so Krios did a board and train with us, super aggressive, King Corso. Maybe not aggressive, 
naturally, but like defensive, yeah. I would say, of his mm -hmm. house. So during the course of when he was staying with us, the owner would email me because she was worried. She was just checking in. She said, like, when am I going to be able to have people over and have him off muzzle and out of command? And I said, never. Yeah. Never. It's never going to happen where we're not going to have some form of management when we have a large group of people over and our dog is literally bred to yeah. back up, like, back up what they're saying. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, you can't. We have to accept that if we're going to get certain types of dogs, mm -hmm. that we are inevitably going to have to live with certain types of behaviors yeah. forever. Yeah. Like, you can't, you expect Sunday to stop <laughs> digging around and looking for food everywhere. Yeah. Or to not have a prey drive. Or, like, we all accept, I think it's interesting, that everyone will accept that, like, a husky should never be off leash because they will run away. Mm -hmm. Or... Um, a beagle is just, a, a, you know, a sniffing dog and their noses are always on the ground. Mm -hmm. Or that a golden retriever will just love to play fetch because they're a retriever. And mm -hmm. we, we are so quick to give, like, all of these genetic traits to these dogs because yeah. they're seemingly, like, cute and harmless. But then the moment you try to talk about genetic aggression within yeah. dogs they're and like, the propensity for aggression, they're like, no, 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 no. It's how you raise them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all in how you raise them. It's like, You're like, yeah, sure. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just wish that we would be more willing to accept that, like, some breeds are more prone to being aggressive, and that's okay. Yeah. No, it, I, it, aggression does not equal bad. Mm -mm. It doesn't. Yeah. It, it only, there's nothing shameful about having a dog that can be aggressive. Yeah. It's only shameful if you deny it and you don't do anything mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> and you let incidents happen or like you refuse to address it so incidents happen. Exactly. And you're just making things a danger to the public almost at mm -hmm. that point. Yeah, it's it can get very scary. So there's if a dog looks intimidating, if they have an intimidating look to them, mm -hmm. that's on purpose. Yeah. Okay, we didn't genetically curate these breeds to look scary mm -hmm. like a Connie Corso and then be like, oh, but they're just so nice. Yeah, be like, oh, why isn't he a golden retriever energy? And you're like, well, he's Corso. Uh, yeah, that's, so. I mean, if they look scary, they're probably supposed to, yeah. which means that they have some type of inkling in them to be scary yeah. if the situation calls for it. Yeah. So I, I think that the the world of dogs and dog ownership would be drastically improved if we could just simply acknowledge that fact. Yeah. That, like, dogs have genetic inclinations to do certain things. There's always going to be outliers. Yeah. You know? I've met some very nice Connie Corsos. Yeah. Absurdly nice. And I've met some really nasty golden retrievers. Yeah. So it's like yeah. <laughs> there's always outliers, typically due to breeding issues, but that's, like, sure. a whole nother discussion. But I think if people just started accepting that, then there would be far less scary accidents yeah. that happen with dogs. Yeah. For our next topic, we will be discussing enrichment. <laughs> um, it's very trendy yes. to enrich your dog these days. Yes. Everyone's adding like all the meal toppers. The lick the mats. the squirts of fish oil. Yeah. And the lick mats, the snuffle mats, the yeah. roll up the towel with your dog's food in it, mm -hmm. which obstructions. All I can see when I see the snuffle mats and I see... Like, people using towels and, mm -hmm. like, rolling their food in towels and then tying them up. I'm like, what kind of dog do you have? Because yeah. my dog would just eat through it. I know, He'd yeah. just eat through it to get to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. alarming. Be careful what you're using for yeah. your enrichment because... Oh, and maybe this is another weird opinion to have, but, like, the technique of, like, throwing food on the ground, which I know mm -hmm. you do this with your dogs. I do, yeah. Um... <laughs> I don't like my dogs just like eating random shit off the ground. Yeah, maybe so that's why So I feel like if I'm just like throwing food on the ground and allowing them to eat it, then I'm not going to be able to really set a boundary and distinguish when yeah. they're not allowed to mm -hmm. do it, and then I'd feel bad. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, keeping some of that stuff in mind too as far as like what your own standards are with your dogs because I yeah. don't know what they are with your dogs. But with my dogs, I don't want them eating stuff yeah. off of the ground mainly because two of my dogs like to eat shit and it's mm -hmm. gross. But yeah. I'm looking at you. I, I call it the chicken game and <laughs> I just throw <laughs> kibble <laughs> into my backyard and let Sunday just, like that's how she eats her dinner. 
and, and I think for I think for a dog like that, I can yeah. see how that would be like very en enriching sure. and rewarding for her. Because she's like meant to hunt and look for her food, so I'm like, why not just play yeah. the chicken game right now? I think that's great. Throw a little bit of kibble. Obviously, she's in her down, and then she's released to it, where it's not just this like kibble falling on the ground. She's like. Make it rain, Kibble, and she's like sticking her tongue out. Like we have some structure behind it where you're not allowed to eat the kibbles. So it's like condensed into like a formal game almost. Yes. Okay. That's yes. that makes more sense. I I feel better about that then rather than just like whoop, like willy nilly yes. stuff. Going Do you like everywhere. the chicken game? The or her favorite is the chicken game in the snow. Oh that, yeah. That is just our favorite mm -hmm. thing in the world. You need to do barn hunt with her. I know I need to do I barn really hunt. I really want to do that. I think enrichment that I'm all for is dog sports. Yeah. I think there's whatever your dog likes to do, there's probably a sport that you can do mm -hmm. with that Physically behavior. active rather than caloric. Like, let me yeah. shove peanut butter or cream cheese in your face and yeah. I can work on my computer for an hour because you're busy with something. Mm -hmm. Yep. And like... Um, I think that maybe even a dog sport that you don't expect, like try everything, try all the things, see what mm -hmm. your dog really likes. Like you wouldn't look at my chihuahua and be like, oh, he'd really love weight pool. Yeah. But like he loves it. Like yeah. when we went back last night, he was in heaven. Mm -hmm. He was so happy. Aww, buddy. <laughs> like he loves it when he starts pulling his little chains yeah. and just going. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm <laughs> on a mission." Like he loves it. So yeah. I think that like exploring. I mean, because there's weight pull, there's like lure coursing, yeah. there's barn hunt, there's herding, there's of course like protection sports, and that's the boom and like protection sports being trendy and everyone mm -hmm. wanting to do protection sports. I mean, I think they're great and all, but, like, slow down, guys. <laughs> slow down. It can be a little dangerous, yeah, you know? Slow down. Slow down. Um, it, I think also just, like, the, oh, if you have that dog and you don't do protection sports, <laughs> yeah, like the hoity-toity mentality. Sure. Um, but the danger, I think, in over-enriching your dog is that you don't teach them how to just be. Yeah. You're existing. constantly stimulating them and they're constantly looking for something to do because that's the dog we've created. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing wrong with enrichment, like providing it from time to time. And if your yeah. dog enjoys it, I understand that people have really busy lives and providing that enrichment feels good to them. They're like, okay, my dog is busy, but it's like you said, it's an iPad kid mm -hmm. where we're creating the need for them to always have their brain on and working rather than I love enrichment and I still do it with my dogs, but I need my dog to be like this sometimes. Yep. Where we just need to relax right now. Oh, you're yeah. not getting anything, you're not getting kibble, we're not searching. You need to learn how to sleep. Mm -hmm. Just relax. And that's something that you should start, like if you're getting a puppy, that's the most idea, you need to start that immediately, mm -hmm. like as a puppy. There needs to be a specific time in your day where it's about doing nothing. Yeah. With the dog. Yeah. Like I, I typically like when I'm raising a puppy, my default is that the dog is in the crate. Yeah. I don't, that's like my default. And if yeah. they're not in the crate, then I need to have a good reason for them to not be in the crate. Mm -hmm. To me, good reasons are like pottying, eating, training, walking. Um, and then another one that I really make a big effort to do is just like purposeful, like just coexisting yeah and generally that's not cuddling <laughs> that's not like the dog sitting on your lap mm -hmm. or cuddling with you it's like I put their leash the end of their leash underneath like a furniture leg have a little bed for them or something and they sit and they hang out on their bed and that's mm -hmm. it yeah they don't have a bone they don't have anything they're, they're just there to coexist and... yeah they're learning to just like be around Things are going on. Maybe mm. we're watching TV. Maybe it's when I'm eating a yeah. meal and I can watch them. But, like, they need to just learn how to self-soothe and mm -hmm. just be there. Put them into real-life situations as you would live them. So, like, when yeah. I was incorporating Pip into the pack, um, we had to do a lot of that because she's like, I want to do something all of the time. And mm -hmm. I put her leash on the table, and I was like, we're just going to lay in our bed. Nothing's happening. Yep. And, of course, look, you hear, the, like, the whining. She's I'm bored. Yep, yep. I'm like, I don't care. You're just going to learn how to chill out. And now, like, I look around my seven dogs, and they're all sleeping, and they're, like, chilling. Yeah. And I'm like, 
those are the moments I feel the most proud of my dogs. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I can create a pack of seven dogs that can just sleep. Mm-hmm. And we don't always have to be looking at mom to eat our enrichment or do the yep. things. Or I'm not the toy. I'm teaching them how to self-soothe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there's absolutely dogs that require or, like, more demanding sure. as far as, like, what you need to give them for them to feel fulfilled. And that will make it easier to teach them to have, like, an off switch or mm-hmm. to, like, stop. But um, I still think that sometimes we just overdo it. Like, yeah. there's a specific account that I'm thinking of right now that's, like, uh, it's a German short-haired pointer. And I don't think people recognize just how intense those dogs are. Very, I, <laughs> I grew up with they're them. They're some of the most intense dogs, Yes, honestly. Yes. I, I would rank them very high on the list, yes, even up yes. with, like, Dutch Shepherds and all. Like, they're very intense dogs. Yes. And this, this poor, poor girl is trying to raise this German short hair pointer, and it's just doing, 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 mm-hmm. doing. And she's like, I can never get this dog tired. He just never stops. He never, yeah. There's, like, a video of her standing in the woods with this dog and he's just screaming yeah. because he's just so like, he's constantly shaking. He's constantly screaming like, and she's just creating like an addict Mm -hmm. because it's like every time he needs to do something, she's just giving him something to do. And then he's just like boiling over at that point. And you need to have like purposeful times with those dogs where you just teach them like, you need to like tone it down. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They're not very good at self-regulating. Um, yeah, they're and, not. They're, they're bred. They're hunting dogs. Like dogs like that are literally bred for a purpose. In modern day, we necessarily don't hunt them. Get on the bed. <laughs> um, but with that specific TikToker, I know exactly what video you're talking about. Where she's like. We're going to stop and stay still until you stop screaming. And the dog just, like, stood there and he's, like, not. He's, like, I'm not going to stop screaming. There's so many no. other issues with that. Like, they're they're trying to do it without doing any corrections or any, like, you know, positive punishment or yeah. anything like that. So everything is, like, cookies and treats and yeah. stuff, which is not great. Because, mm-hmm. again, when you, when you have, when you're trying to condition a calm mindset, mm-hmm. you can't use something that kicks a dog into drive. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're trying to get her to be calm, you can't use food. <laughs> if I'm trying to get him to be calm, I can't use a toy. Yeah. You know, like, you need to have other means of communicating with a dog other than rewards that make Mm. them excited yeah because you're constantly putting them into an excited state then at that point I I recently saw that as a a mistake that I had made in my training with a client um, that I said use food on your walks because he was like anything but focused on her and he was Mm -hmm. like do 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 and then she used food and she used it so much so often that when I went on a walk with her, he, she's like, he's getting so distracted. He's tripping me. And then the whole do- time, the dog's, like, staring at her, like, checking back with her. And he had this obsessiveness with, like, going to check in with her for a treat that mm-hmm. he couldn't even enjoy the walk anymore. The environment didn't exist. It was like she was a machine to feed him treats. And I was yeah. like, let's dial back on yeah. the food now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because originally, it, it's okay to use it for engagement, but mm-hmm. we need to real life we're not going to bring food with us everywhere yeah if you truly have a dog who has like a very intense reward system you have to be very uh intentional how you're using the rewards yeah because you can create a lot of associations with things that like you don't necessarily intend to create at all yeah and that makes the mindset like seeking a mindset and not Mm -hmm. like let's just relax into the environment mindset yeah like yeah you kind of have to yeah, you have to figure out, like, what your ultimate goal is within mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish. Because if you're trying to accomplish a calm dog, mm-hmm. then we really need to be intentional about what we're doing and how we're interacting and what rewards we're using and yeah. things like that. Versus, you know, if you're trying to create a dog who's, like, animated and pumped and excited, then, yeah, you should use those things, you yeah. know, in your training. But most of the time with pet dogs, you just want a cool, even keel dog yeah. who can be in the environment, isn't, like, overly aroused by everything, overstimulated by everything. So you do want to ideally focus on just keeping them calm. 
Yeah, it's very much like living with the training and incorporating them to living in your life, not feeling like you're living into their life and fitting into what they want constantly. Because yes. you have to set the boundaries and you have to be like, we're not going to go crazy right now. Well, and a lot of people with dogs that they think need a lot of physical exercise, I think we forget that like, say a human, if you run three miles every mm-hmm. day, it's not hard anymore. <laughs> you can run three miles and feel fine. Yeah. So then you need to run five miles yeah. and then you need to run seven miles. And so like with a dog, you're just creating like an Olympic athlete mm-hmm. who doesn't get tired anymore. Yeah. You know, if you do that same intense amount of exercise all the time, it's not going to physically do anything to the dog. Yeah. You're just building up their endurance and you're conditioning sure. them essentially. <laughs> Yeah, and people are like, well, um, Fluffy didn't have his exercise today, so he's off the walls. And I'm like, Fluffy could have an hour walk or a zero walk, and Fluffy still needs to behave because you're setting the tone of your house. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it may make the dog a little antsy not to have the exercise, but there's going to be days that we don't get to it. And that's oh, yeah. the reality of owning a dog is that we can't always provide for them. Oh, yeah. And we need to teach them the days that it's like a rainy day, a snowy day. We just had a long-ass day at work and we don't feel like catering to them. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to come home and be like, we're just going to relax today. Today's a chill day. Yep. Yeah, and you should be able to do that. Maybe not for like an extended long period of time, but your dog should be able to go a number of days yeah. without needing you know, all that intense stuff. Going yeah, on. exactly. All right, we've got a viewer and a question. And the question is, what are some small changes I can make to give my dog a more structured life? Ooh. What a good question. That is a good question. Um, I One of my biggest things I tell people that kind of restructures your own brain mm-hmm. is... Are you, li- are you the one living in a reactionary state? Mm-hmm. So, like, who's making the decisions mm-hmm. and who's responding? Yeah. And I think if you start to analyze your life and your relationship with your dog through that, you're going to see a lot of things that you could possibly change. Yeah. Uh, because if you're constantly responding to how your dog is behaving, then you're not in control at all. No. And, like, being something that provides so much structure that is so, like, underrated is the crate yes so the teaching a good solid crate adds so much structure into your life and just controlled time away from your dog so your dog doesn't always have to be with you and following you around the kitchen while you're cooking dinner or taking a shower with you like we need to teach our dogs like we're talking about chill out time Mm -hmm. and that adds like insurmountable relief to your life with your dog can I turn my dog off for a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Um, some other things for structure. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like that's it. The crate is a good one. Your, like, bed stay. Like, bed stay is also something that when I'm speaking to my clients, I'm like, the bed stay is going to be your best friend in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, as if you have a really high energy dog. Yeah. It's just a really good way to, like, I, I say, I park my Sunday on the bed here. And my Sunday is just chilling until I release her. That adds a lot of structure. If I don't want to physically use my crate, I can have her out and just sleep it on her bed. And that adds a lot to my life. Um, I think being uh, consistent about what behaviors you don't want to allow and Mm -hmm. correcting for those. Yeah. Um, Even if you do no obedience training with your dog, if you just correct for behaviors you don't want, you can see a miraculous change. Yeah. Like, an insane amount of change. Um, so that's something I would do. Like, when I'm living in, like, a, a normal state with my dog, like, just living at home, I don't want to have to use a lot of obedience. Mm-mm. I shouldn't need to use no, a lot of like, obedience. Yeah, from long-term management. Yeah, I shouldn't have to. And the way you get away with that is by just creating an environment where the dog very clearly knows what it is not supposed to do Mm -hmm. and then it has freedom to do whatever it wants everywhere else Mm -hmm. right like setting the laws in the house jump up on the windows and bark i can't jump up on the counters i can't 
maybe get on the furniture, whatever your rules are. I can't, I can't, I can't. But beyond that, look at all of this freedom I have to mm-hmm. do all the other things I want to do. Yeah. I can go lay over here. I can go chew on that bone. I can go in the backyard and run mm. around. I can do all these things. But those I know are off limits. Yeah. And I think just making that very clear for a dog can be incredible. Yeah. Most of the times that I'm using obedience, it's because like I'm out doing an activity with mm-hmm. them. Like I'm taking them somewhere. Maybe people are coming over mm-hmm. and so I want to use a bed stay or something. Yeah. But even in that case, when I have people come over and I tell clients too that a bed stay should never be a band-aid yeah. to keep your dog from doing something that they shouldn't yeah. do. Yeah. You know? Your dog, if if it's friendly, of course, if your your dog has people if you have people come over, your dog shouldn't need to be on a bed stay so that they don't jump on them. Yeah. They exactly. should know that they just shouldn't jump on them yeah. as well. Yeah, the bed stays more so management when guests are over as far as like your dog just learning to chill out mm-hmm. and Exactly. Again, not a band-aid. We want, we'd want to address jumping and excited behaviors completely on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bed stay can be great if you're like, I don't want the dog up in my business. I don't want my yeah. guests to feel like they have to constantly pet my dog. Exactly. To me, like the bare minimum that every human should do with a dog is at least create very clear expectations of what behaviors are not okay. That's the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to obedience train your dog... That's your own prerogative, but to me, that limits their world. They can't go places effectively with you. They can't, you know, all that stuff. But at the very least, they should know I don't jump on people. Mm -hmm. I don't get on counters. I don't, you know, all of those basic kind of good household manners. And then beyond that, your obedience is just a bonus and a benefit to be able to do stuff with them and actually, like, enjoy having your dog. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like to prevent something. Like obedience shouldn't be used to prevent. Um, the... Obedience doesn't prevent aggression. Yeah. It doesn't prevent anxiety. Mm-hmm. It doesn't prevent obedience on its own. I want to be clear about yeah. this. <laughs> obedience training on its own does not prevent behavioral issues. I really don't think it does. Mm-mm. It's how you use your communication and your obedience with your dog mm-hmm. that is going to prevent those issues from happening. Yeah. Um, there, we, I mean, how many clients do we get that the dog is impeccably obedience trained mm-hmm. and it's aggressive yeah, or it's Anxious. still leash reactive or yeah. yeah, any of those things, because just knowing those certain skills doesn't mean that their mindset and their behaviors are actually changed. Yeah. So when you're raising a young dog, adding in the structure and using the obedience and your communication to curate their life in a way that you are creating a very balanced, Mm -hmm. controlled, calm dog that knows what the expectations are is what's going to prevent the issues moving forward. Being dependable for your dog is the key to success. Like Mm -hmm. your dog needs to be like, that's my mom, that's my dad, they set the rules. I know I'm very clear on what I can't do yeah. doesn't mean I'm not ever going to try it again, and, yeah. but my mom and dad are there to kind of be like, no. Yeah, exactly. And then you get a more calm dog that's not having all these options like, oh, I can go pace, and then I can go bark out the window, and then maybe I'll chew the couch later. It's like, those are not options for me anymore. I'm going to go yep. lay down and quietly sit in the corner and chew my bone. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys enjoyed spending <laughs> some time with us. Remember to smash that like button and say hello to us. Thanks, guys, for joining us today on now this go episode. Train your f-